Hey everyone, it's your boy, Ian Austin, for another edition of Friday Night Friday, Friday Night. Because <laughs> after we run around our mouth, if you didn't catch that, we run around our mouth, we run around our mouth. It's Friday Night Fright, I'm back and I turn 35 this week. Yes, perfect birthday, perfect in every single way, but not necessarily for the podcast because unfortunately this is enough clip show. Boo, hiss, damn you Ian, you ruined Friday Night Ramon. But here's the thing, I did, granted I did, I've ruined the episode because this is not a continuation flash. No, like I said, this is another clip show, but at the same time, I had a really nice week. I enjoyed my life. I'm having fun. Brothers down from America. I'm having lots of fun. Cheering out. Came back. Kicking all cool. Relaxing. Shooting some people. After the school. To paraphrase. One best TV shows of all time. And so unfortunately. Turn 35 means. I didn't quite get to record podcasts. Where I would want to. But normal process. Will resume from next week. As it should. Flash is coming back. I also was given a DVD called Arrow. And I'm wondering how that ties in. I thought Arrow was on TV show. I thought it was just some off-screen stuff. But apparently Arrow was a bunch of series too. So who knows? Maybe I'll go to that at some point. Although I can't imagine it being quite as good as Flash. And also these words, they've already set Arrow up. So TV show? It's weird. Like, it's, it's weird. No, it's strange. Anyway, uh, this episode's about Black Lake, which long-time viewers, I don't know if there's any left, because freaking no, the ratings for this podcast have nosedived, but long-term viewers remember I reviewed a series on Shadow called Black Lake, which was actually very entertaining until I stopped doing it because I dropped plot threads more than anyone I've ever met in my life. You might have dropped plot threads and plot, dropped plots and the naval storyline didn't go away, you know? It just it didn't go anywhere. But enough about that. I had a great birthday and I hope you enjoy this birthday episode. And if didn't, well, I'll be back next week with another thing. Uh, I would do an epilogue this week, but to be honest, I don't want to. So without any further ado, uh, after a brief one of our sponsor, you'll get a bunch of old clip show crap. If you don't want to listen, don't listen. Come back next week. And remember, until, and when you get Gems episodes, come back to this point. Pause now. Watch the rest, listen to the rest of the episode. Un, and then come back to this part. And when I say, remember, life is beautiful. I'll catch you next week. We open on a Shudder exclusive appearing on screen. Awesome. I'm really pumped for this because I haven't watched much Shudder exclusive stuff and feel like for the sake of podcast, I should start doing it because I'm sure they have lots of amazing stuff on there and this is first attempt to really get into it. Because if you're not going to watch exclusive stuff on streaming service, honestly, what's the point? So we get text on screen, crime scene, Fort Sun, ski resort, 25th January 1996. And I immediately think this is a procedural, and I'm very happy about that, so I love procedurals. At the moment, one of my favourite TV shows, it's not currently on, but was on, is um, the Netflix, not Netflix, Handball Letting TV series, because it's on Netflix, will be episodes. Watched a few back in the day, but I'm really getting into it now. And if Shudrev put Handball on their service, that's the first thing I'm going to watch. We see a creepy corridor, and a bearded man's led down it in handcuffs. I'm calling it, he's the murderer. A plainclothes cop side-eyes him. A man in a Disney-style raincoat opens the door as another man records Dr. Beardman. Mr. Cop puts a comforting hand on Dr. Beardman's shoulder. They descend the staircase. Dr. Beardman hears voices, but is promptly ignored as they continue descending to the murder basement. Dr. Beardman's cuffs are removed for some reason, and he leads them... The, there by them, I mean police officers, over to a wall. Then Dr. Beardman wonders where they are. Who, you ask? I'm assuming people he murdered or people he left there. Anyway, he starts to freak out when no one answers his questions, grabs a wrench and bashes in Mr. Cop's knee. Miss Dr. Beardman flees as two cops pursue. The cameraman falls over for some reason, accidentally getting the perfect angle for the escape. Mr. Cop sees something. Cue opening credits of a snowy apocalyptic wasteland or, you know, Sweden. 
They're intense and very operatic. My hope is that this is Unto Dawn-esque. I really love Unto Dawn. It's one of my favourite games of recent memory. Not, I think a lot of people like playing games and getting immersed in the story. I like playing games so I can channel and change the story. Because sometimes I like think I do a better job than people make it. And like having the options to go my way rather than necessarily the way they prefer me to go. You make choose your own adventure stuff and then the player feels like they're impacting the story. Anyway, so we get more text on screen. Stockholm, 25th January 2016. A woman's on pier watching water. She's joined by another woman in a hat. A concerned woman at that. That's a pun. Beep, beep goes a car. Two men emerge. Also concerned for woman number one. I think we're going to need some names soon. So I'm getting very confused already. We get one name. The first woman, second, no, second woman's called Met. And smaller guy's called Lippy. He assists, fuck it, I'm going to make, start make up names. He assists guy with bags. Enough cop pulls up, enough car pulls up, not enough cop, and we meet Frank. And with Frank, a free woman, one he's dating or his own just start dating. To recap, recap, in 1996, we met Dr. Beardman and Mr. Cop. In 2016, we've met Matt, Lippy, Guy, Frank, his date, Jesson, and two random women, and of course, the lead female. I'm guessing her name's Hanny from descriptions on Shudder's website and on the app. I think this show's going to be a fucking bloodbath, by the way. There's way too many characters, and I can't... With only eight episodes, I can't see men for them making it in a very long time. The assorted sweets shake hands. Oh, and we can add Oswald to that list. He's clearly New Franklin, and if you don't know who Franklin is, watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He's the most annoying character in the history of slash movies. Frank is told off regarding Jesson. And he's asked, can she even ski? Who gives a shit? Lippy and Met discuss how much of a man whore Frank is. While in background, Hangy looks very pensive. We get some scenery porn. Hangy lucid dreams about baby yelling her name. We get some more scenery porn. Hangy can't get reception on her phone. Lippy is scared they may have wound up in Norway, but his fears are quickly elevated when they find the ski lodge. Once again, Hanny is pensive. I think this actress has one frame reference, and that's to be pensive. But I also said that about Juliet on Lost, and by the end, she, Elizabeth Mitchell is one of my favourite actors on the programme. So sometimes it is literally just an acting choice. Anyway, we get the reveal that Frank has a satellite phone, which destroys one of those annoying tropes about cell phone and mobile phone reception not working, because satellite phones should really always work. It turns out no one has a key for the ski lodge. Fantastic. Luckily, the doors are already open. No one seems very concerned about this. Oswald wonders how Johan can afford this place, and I start wonder who the fuck is Johan? Is that mystery that's going to pair from the future? Uh, gang fuck about trying to find the light switch. Someone says hello a lot. Another annoying trope. I don't mind tropes in general. I don't like the say hello in a scary haunted place thing. Because if someone is there, they're going to follow your voice and murder you. Anyway, I guess they're looking for Johan. Hangi finds paper from 1996 discussing two stories. One, the shit that went down in the prologue. And two, the story of Parallax Hal Jordan sacrificing his life to stop a sun eating from destroying Earth. Anyway, Hangi finds a man with a torch. Frank trots up. Asking for the man is Eriki. I think I need a fucking whiteboard for this. Frank and Hanny praise the place as Eriki shows them to their rooms. Also, Eriki doesn't have a phone. Foreshadowing. It's not. It's not Frank. It's Guy. Guy says, "But I have your number," and Eriki says that's off and then walks off. Okay then. Sure. Why not? Hanny explores her room. Later on, she sips water and removes her hairband. We cut Frank and Jessen having some anal against the wall. Jessen pushes her, him onto the bed. Missionary position ensues. In the next room, Hongi gets in bed with Guy, who's reading John Grisham's novelization of Rose Leslie's Honeymoon. Guy seems quite horny, but Hongi would rather just go to sleep. Later on, Hongi wakes up. That's going to happen a lot, by the way. Oh, and we discovered the guy is Johan. That's good. They're paying off mysteries quite fast. No, it's only eight episodes. Don't want to dredge it out. 
Hongi goes exploring. That's nothing which is going to happen a lot. Lights flicker in the hallway. She goes back to bed. We get a creepy shot of the door, which I believe is the door leading to the murder basement. Jump scare number one, a snowplow is driven through frame by Eriki. I'm getting really weird vibes from Eriki, by the way. Our gang are at breakfast. It turns out Oswald cooked, and he seems like quite a good cook. He cooked a full breakfast for everyone. Yeah, a lot of pictures taken of everyone. And then we get great scene where they slut shame at your ingestion by making bestiality illusions. Apparently she's a wild animal. I thought Frank was a slut. Anyway, Honey insists that she heard thumping the previous evening and everyone jokes that it must have been Jesson. Honey insists that she heard thumping and it was not pounding. Met us if the nightmares are back. They're not. It's cl I'm glad no nightmares aren't back. But also, at the same time, I'm a bit concerned that they aren't back, you know? Because we have Nightmare Christmas coming up soon, and it'd be nice to continue theme for Nightmares. But I'm sure they'll come and play later on. Hongi sees that a door isn't a door. It's a jar. You're welcome. She walks into a kid's bedroom. Why not? It's creepy, with pictures slewn all over the place, um, words formed out on the floor. They'll come and play later with building blocks and what looks like fucking Cabbage Patch style dolls lying in shares. Cabbage Patch or Garbage Pail Kids? I, I'd say made more Garbage Pail Kids because these ones look really fucked up. It looks like um if you got Chucky doll, but it looked even more disturbing. You think I really won't get one of those Chucky dolls. Just stick it up somewhere as a valuable item. The gang prepares to go skiing. Honey sees Eriki. She asks him when the place closed originally, and Eriki tells her it never opened. At this point, alarm bells for running for Honey because this guy is creepy as fuck. Eriki continues, now it especially wasn't open in 1996, and he's not going to discuss the matter further. Realizing his error and that Honey is actually generally starting to investigate him, Eriki flees on a snow bike. I, I actually like this idea of Eriki knows everything about this place, but instead of lying to him and continuing conversation and playing dumb, he just flees. It's a really neat narrative trick because, you know, why would he stay and talk to them? He feels uncomfortable. He knows they'll get something out of him. He wants to run away. And also, I'm really doing this show so far. I think it's actually genuinely particularly entertaining. Will it be by infamous little bit? I'm not sure, but right now I'm really digging on what I'm watching. The gang goes skiing properly this time. And I actually really like this scene. I, I think it's quite long, the bit where they go skiing, but it's very entertaining. And one thing I really like so far about the show is they're building character. But it's interesting, like there's a lot of dynamics here that they're not beating over the head with, but it's some quite cool stuff. Like Lippy and Matt are together, Johan and Honig together, Frank and Jessen are together, you've got Ellen and Oswald in sort of the background, Oswald's the cook. Ellen hasn't really got much to do, and incidentally we won't actually find our name for a few minutes. I'm just trying to explain. And you've got all stuff with Ariki, and as we find out now, Oswald has a go at Ellen later on for fucking up slicing potatoes in the kitchen. There's a little bit of story there, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm generally getting into this. I think it's good. Outside, we find two arseholes on snow bites, which is a trope I love. Two arseholes, two snow bites. These two arseholes discuss a plan while creeping on our gang through binoculars. Ooh, a bit of a twisting tale there. Who are these guys? What effect are they going to have on the plot? And also, why are they so close to this particular complex? They're not exactly far away. They're literally right outside using binoculars. Strange. Inside, everyone fakes joviality, and they discuss the idea of turning the lodge into a hotel. We find out that Johan wants to buy the lodge, or at least he's considering buying it. It's quite a cool twist. It points out how rich he is, but also creates both the fight between the other characters, because... They don't all look rich, and all, some of them look like they take advantage of Johan. Incidentally, I'm drinking a dark Pepsi caffeine-free. My drink joys on Sunday. Johan tries to do a toast, 
but someone knocks, knocks, knocks on the front door. And it's the two arseholes from outside. Yay, they're really rushing through this shit. We find out their names are Dag and Justin. Dag and Justin. Fucking Dag and Justin. These are great names. These are not boring generic names. Maybe they're in Sweden, but I think it's kind of nice to have this. And also at the same time, I want to point out, if you do want to watch this, the... Language isn't a barrier particularly. There's a few bits where if you knew Swedish, you would find out a bit more information. But I think in some ways by not knowing it, a few of the twists later on work better because you, I literally have no idea what the fuck the words mean. So it's like characters know more than I do. And one thing in fiction people say a lot is it's better if the audience gets hair of the characters. I think sometimes that's true, but enough times I like characters knowing stuff I don't because of course they would. Like, they're not going to share everything. So, obviously, we find out that their names are Dag and Justine. Dag is a great name, by the way. And they invite themselves in like a couple of assholes. But they also agree being a documentary. A documentary, a short documentary that about Honey. Why not? It's just a bunch of people pointing camera at her and asking her questions, which she deflects. Dag reveals that he rents a wood shop from Eriki. As Johan's rape alarm goes in supernova, and can you blame him? These guys really look sketchy as fuck. Hongi starts grilling Justin about Lodi's backstory, but he doesn't know fucking anything about it. I don't even think he lives in Zeri. He claims otherwise, but... Anyway, Dad says he has a mail order business and he broaches a merger with Johan. Johan, why would you not go in business with this creepy, sketchy as fuck guy who was peeping and creeping on you guys through binoculars from two metres away earlier? Johan considers the offer, but then says he thinks Dad would be a great addition to the ski lodge as a waiter. That's quite douchey, Johan. Dad decides that it's the perfect time to show off his favourite knife. He points out how great it is and then how sharp it is by slamming it down into the table. Johan, polite, not even politely, smugly says he doesn't want the knife when Dad offers him to give it to him as, gift, as a gift. Justine starts getting very concerned and begs Dag not to murder any more teenagers as Dad gets up and starts asking why Johan doesn't want his knife and whether he thinks he's better than Johan. This scene gets very tense. Justine has to physically escort Dad towards the door as Dad keeps yelling for Johan to take the knife. I think he wants Johan butts and bread. I'm getting the impression Dad's angry but not in a murderous way necessarily. It's like his name last name is Dag Red Heron, you know, it's it's not, it's just anger, he's angry, he's not going to murder anyone, but that doesn't change anything, because Johan doesn't want a knife at all, so Honey has a solved situation by picking the knife up and giving it Dag's knife back, Dag sadly takes the knife and leaves, everyone wonders silently why Johan didn't just accept the knife and defuse the entire situation to start off with, but they don't get an answer. Later on, Oswald creeps outside Hongi's room. That's a change of pace. Johan inside is rationalising not taking the knife. Hongi asks Johan for some lodge bat story, but he denies everything, just like Eriki later on. Luckily, he's saved by noises coming outside. And remembering the previous evening where Frank and Jesson were having the anal against the wall, he snaps and starts accusing them. Jacuzzi. But noises are coming from a creepy door as they find out when they go in the hallway and find Drunken Jessen there. The noise stops suddenly. Hongi wants to investigate, but Johan accuses her of something. It's vague. Hongi lies that she's hungry and goes exploring. She walks through the kitchen and asks Oz about the paper from earlier, but he plays dumb, or maybe is dumb, it's kind of vague. Honey sees the frig magnet spelling up the same words as the blocks from earlier on. Paying off shit already. She's very concerned, but Oz plays dumb, or is dumb. In the room, Johan is tearing the newspaper apart. Holy shit, there's some messy messiness going on here, y'all. I think Johan can't be trusted. Maybe he's the fucking murderer. 
You'd think he's too young, but clearly they live in a supernatural universe, so maybe he's one of the 13 Immortals. You know 13 Immortals. Vandal Savage, Kendra Saunders, Tef Adam, um, Razagul, and a bunch of other fuckers. It's a DC Comics. The next morning we see Jessen's eyes bloodshot. Oz accuses Lippy of giving her pink eye. Ew. Met nicely defines to us what sleep paralysis is. Then she says Jessen should go wash her disease-covered hands. Holy shit. What the fuck? She phrases it as in she doesn't want anyone to get the infection. But, you know, that's quite harsh. You know, and you should have covered hand safety at the orientation. We get some more scenery porn. Yeah, they like showing off Sweden. It's a bit post less apocalyptic when it's not shot at night. Eric is in the hallway changing light bulb. Honey walks up and inquires about the creepy door. Eric denies everything, but also refuses to open the door. He says there's nothing to worry about, but it is dangerous. Johan fumes and says, well, what the fuck do you expect us to do? And Eric mentions earplugs. I, I, Eric is my favourite character so far. Hongi asks him if they can call Yona. Eriki says the owner is dead, then realises he's faux pas and flees. Only Hongi finds that concerning. How is this not concerning to you guys? Johan, if there isn't an owner, this buying this property is a lot easier than you made out. You know? So on that aspect, you should be delighted. He doesn't seem to give a shit. He just seems to think, well, Eric, he's a gatekeeper. I don't know what to do. Honey's the only one sort of like, what the fuck? The owner's dead. What? This doesn't make any sense. You know, it's great. It's a really awesome twist. But these cat, some of these characters aren't acting like human beings at this point. Honey goes back to the kids' room, because why not? The blots have been put away neatly. She finds some creepy drawings that seem to have predicted Jessen's and Lippy's pink eye. We have premonition drawings, guys. This is really getting intense now. Sorry. Johan is on the phone with his dad, and it's a sad, tense conversation. So, of course, Frank interrupts, wanting to set up a, cell, a camera in the cellar, or by the cellar, rather. Frank has no sense of timing, by the way. Holly shows Met the pink eye photos, pink eye pictures, but Met shrugs it off because not. Sorry, sagging. Holly shows Met the pink eye pictures, but Met shrugs it off because not everything drawn has happened yet, and she also writes Holly no psychics would date with in two thousand fourteen, when Queen of Hive used Doctor Hector Hammond to hide Doctor Hector Hammond's consciousness inside Superman's head. Cywar, shout out y'all. She asks if Jacob's come back. Hongi says no. Metning asks if Hongi's taking her peers. We've seen that she has. Hongi says yes. We discover that they're sisters, and that's really nice. I like that. That's a cool thing, because you don't have to beat us over head with it. You don't have to set up from the start their sisters. Their actions suggested it, and then you've got a casual mention later on. This show's quite subtle of that. I like that. Outside, Joanne gets really pissed off at Lippy. Not quite mentioning the pink eye thing, but really getting angry that there's snow all over his car. And I think, you're in the middle of a fucking snowy wasteland, you asshole. There's going to be snow in your car. Chill out. Then he says to Harley that he couldn't get through to his dad. He's a fucking liar. Johan's a liar. I won't stand for it. It's not cool. He really, he's getting my nerves. Damn you, Johan. Johan feels he wants to go on a solo trip with Honey. The cellar camera catches Eric and Dad plotting. Dun, dun, dun. They walk off. Jessen emerges. She looks at the camera, the cellar camera, then looks towards him and follows him. Next scene, Jessen's on her own in the kids' room. Her pink eye is really fucking gross at this point. Jessen sits down and ranges the blocks. She forms a word, and I have no idea what it is, so this is really tense and creepy and ambiguous, and I feel like it's going to pair off later on, but I love that Shudder has not added subtitles to what the words made with blocks mean. 
because it really adds a lot to this. Because now I'm wondering what the fuck's going on, what, she, what words did she sing, what context they have. But if you're a Swedish person, you know because you understand Swedish language. So you gain something that the rest of us don't gain. Like for me, this is a mystery. For you, that's paying something off. But for me, it's going to pay off later on in a casual way. And it's going to have more meaning for me. Anyway, we get more scenery porn. Johan and Hone drink wine on the mountaintop, which that sounds fucking lovely. I don't even like wine. I'd love to do that. Johan says that he'll own the forest too when he buys the lodge from, you know, the owner who's dead, which he doesn't seem concerned about. And then he proposes to Hone. We cut before she can answer. Lipping met singing, sitting in a hot tub, encouraging Jessen to take her eye drops. Oz and Ellen drink beer in sauna. You know, I love this podcast sentences like that. Like two sentences back to back, which sum up how fucking weird the show is in a great way. Joanne and Honey emerge to reveal that they're engaged. Lots of cheers ensue. I assume some of them are fake. Ellen doesn't even try cheer. She just turns around and grabs a robe and Iron Man walks off. She looks really sad. So I think maybe they're hinting that she loves Johan. Maybe she loves Holly. You, know, you don't know. Like, it's cool. Later on. No, no, not even later on. Holly opens a beer and hallucinates swimming pool briefly. Hmm, that's quite cool. Foreshadowing. Later on, Honey sees Justine. Justine. He's assisting Eriki, but reveals he did ask Dad what happened at Lodge 20 years ago. And Dad told him a whole family was dead. It may have been murder, it may not. Joanne emerges and gets jealous, and then later on explains that he had to lie to Honey. For reasons. It's really terrible logic he uses. Honey bemoans the lack of free wind that she had come, and then dumps her peers down the sink. Later on, Honey's woken by noises and investigates. A door won't open, but does when she walks away. She walks inside and sees something, but we cut to black. What the fuck? Previously on Black Lake, wait a look. Ignore the previously packaged that show gives you. Don't pay any attention to what show claims happen. Go with my recap of episode one, you goddamn heathens. Because you know my recap is the best recap you can possibly have for this show. Anyway, right away, I call shenanigans as Harney, F1's favourite lead character, runs away from cellar door to inform Johan it's open. Look, that's not how last episode ended. The episode ended with... Honey going towards the cellar door, entering the cellar, and it cutting away with her seeing something horrific and wanting to explore more. Did not end her running away from the door, or even hinting that she was going to run away from the door. It's something that Prison Break used to do all the time and used to infuriate me. You get a great cliffhanger, and then immediately in the next episode it will be undone. And that's annoying enough on a 22 episode a year. TV show. This is eight episodes. You tell me she could have gone down in cellar and then come back up. Maybe that would have been fine. But she literally runs away from it. This that's not how last episode ended. That's not what it implied. And this shit isn't rational. It should not be open to interpretation based on whoever makes the next episode. Anyway, rant over. Honey waits Johan and they explore. I get sense in this show I'm gonna say words they explore a lot because they, they do explore a lot. I mean, that's what they do. They like exploring and investigating. So they go back to the cellar door and they find out the door's shut. And at this point, I'm thinking, holy shit, how can Holly prove what's going to happen? This is going to create a dynamic between them for the next four or five episodes. And then they both look at the camera. No, no, not that camera. The other camera, the one Johan set up. And they watch the back footage with Frank and Jessen, whose eyes still really fucked up and gross. And they find out the door was never open. But then they find out it was. And then it's shut. It's safe. Ooh. And now it's time for the scenery porn credits. We cut back, or fading rather, as we find Johan and Frank, two dudes, walking in the snow to everyone's favourite character, Eriki. Johan knocks on the door. Finds Eriki opening it and says, Eriki, my friend, it's time to shoe up. 
Eriki refuses to shoo up and also refuses to believe that there's a racket in cellar. As no one has lived in that cellar for years. Also, he doesn't even have a key. And Johan's warning signs aren't going off again. How do you hang out with this guy Eriki in any sort of social context and not think there's something really shifty about you? Eric is mortified when Johan questions the veracity of his words and tries to slam the door, but Johan stops it with his foot. Before they can discuss efforts in compute video game journalism, Frank plays in misery and then the scene ends. Horse dick, fucking tosser, says Johan. That sure is a sentence, and that's one thing I like about his show is, because it's in Swedish, translated to English, you get a lot of those weird, sort of like, sentence fragments. Frank and Joanne come to the conclusion that someone came up from cellar. Hang on a second, sorry. Right, so your new theory, Frank, and your new theory, Johan, is someone came up from cellar. Right, okay. If that's the case, fine. The door did open from the other side. I agree with that. I'm completely with you on that point. But if someone came up from cellar, how come you don't see anyone? How come you don't see anyone go back down cellar? Simple. Because it's a stupid theory and it doesn't make any sense. Look, if characters in the show won't play the theory game, that's their prerogative. This show is already made before I watched it. Can't change any of it. But at least have some decent theories because that's a load of shite, mate. If I saw that theory online, I would laugh and I would downvote in a second. Later on, Johan undresses while talking about handling Eriki's red hand. Sometimes the jokes write themselves. He's ignored by Honey, who says that she heard crying. She's always bringing everyone down, Jesus Christ. Joanne says there was no crying, and then he blames the entire scenario of events happening in the last episode on the wind, or possibly Frank. Unless you do, it's always the wind, or it's always Frank. Honey refuses to turn the light off. We get a terse goodnight shared between them, and then they both go to sleep. I'm really not feeling the one true parent, these two, by the way. Shot off someone with a lot of keys, and at this point, we all have to say in unison, Jacuz! Now it's time for scenery porn of post-apocalyptic Sweden. And man, I tell you, if you're ever in post-apocalyptic wasteland, you should hope it looks like Sweden, because holy shit, it looks fucking wonderful. They've clearly had a nasty apocalypse, they've recovered nicely, and there's so much snow. Jess Sands leading... I really am struggling with the character names at this point. It's not hurt by the fact that earlier on I took shirt, my shirt off after work and forgot I had a pen in it, so I've stabbed myself up the arm with the pen. But I am a pro. This is a podcast. I'll do it anyway. Anyway, Jesson leads these bunch of ragtag rebels. Um, Oswald is there. Um, Honey's sister's there. Um, I think Elian, Ellie, e- e- Eileen from last episode. And fuck knows who the rest of these people are. Skeen's the pits, apparently. It's not something anyone should want to do. Your entire show is set in a fucking ski lodge. Don't down-talk skiing when your entire premise relies on people thinking it's a valid path to a nice, solid weekend. Don't smack-talk it. It's like USA High saying, oh, USA sucks, and so do American high schools. You don't want to admit it. That's the whole point of your show. That's the gimmick. It's a gimmick, guys. Justine shows up, if you remember he's part of the Delbat with Dag, on a snow bike and propositions Elion with a flask of Gurlabob. Oswald drinks his own Gurlabob and does not care for it. And that Gurlabob references straight from the late 90s, early 2000s, so I apologise if some of you are listening to it and thinking, what the fuck is he talking about? I don't know half time either. Actually, wait, no, it's not a lying. He's talking to Honey. What am I doing? I don't... Oh. Why would a lying be asking for information on dead family? Anyway, Justine says that he'll ask around again, despite the fact that he did that and it really didn't go anywhere. Oswald 
makes a concerned comment about hypothetical shower camera. That's a very pointless scene. And Joanne's watching camera footage. He ignores Frank worrying about Norwegians in the background. Frank's a bit racist, because you remember in the first episode, he said that he's hoping they will wind up in Norway. What's this got his problem with Norwegians? Is it Swedish things? People from Sweden don't like Norwegians and vice versa? Or is it just pointing out that one character in this group has to be racist, because by process of elimination in this day and age, at least one member of the group has slight racist intonations. Joanne decides to vent his anger by talking about Honey's brother, Jacob, who drowned in a boating accident when he was 10. And about how Honey is shoot crazy. And he was told not to fuck crazy, but he not only fucked crazy, he proposed to crazy. Now drugs have turned into a zombie. Tuned out, as I'm sure we all are, Frank shrugs out vagaries. He doesn't really seem to give a shit. And then he laughs like he's really high and points out how stupid the camera idea was. And then Joanne laughs and we get a scene of two characters in the TV show who came up with this plan for the camera, laughing about how stupid the plan was in the first place, ignoring that most of this episode revolves around the knowledge that the camera is there and using it for dramatic tension. And your two characters are pointing out how shit the idea was. What is going on in this show? I love it, but jeez, jeez Louise, people. Anyway, Joanne's phone rings. He answers it, and he's concerned by what he hears. And we get the sound effect of concerned, which is... Well, something to that effect. I've already got it. So we got that Honey's sister, and you know, screw it. I'm calling her Bonnie at this point. Bonnie and Honey. Because I'll never remember a name otherwise. Probably forget from next week's episode anyway. But from right now it's Bonnie. She walks in the snow. Then she walks inside. She hears noises. A cellar door opens. Except it's the study door. Ooh, see, I can trick you. Because you're probably not watching along. So you have no idea what's actually happening. You, I could be making all this up. How would you ever know? I'm not. Maybe I am. Ha ah. ha ha. <laughs> Bonnie walks in the study and then leaves the study her frame widens to show Oswald hiding like a big fat potato boy he gulps she's really really strange the next day in Lion it spouts Darwinism as Oswald fucks around water and above cereal we get strongest versus fittest connotations as it's quickly becomes the new analogy versus metaphor debate. Talk turns to refugees and genetic programming, and I'm feeling very uncomfortable at this point. Honey rambles about dead babies until Johan walks in. He says he isn't hungry, he's just spoken to his lawyer. I love the weird sentences they have in this show. He he's mentions that someone else is bid for the property. Uh, wait, sorry, at this point, cut, cut, cut back a bit. In the last episode, they revealed that Yona is dead. So technically, no one owns this property. The state owns this property. In which case, if the state owns property, surely there's an easier way for Johan to bid for it than he's doing. But he's not bid for it yet. Or if he has bid for it, he hasn't won because Yona hasn't verified his bid. But some else can bid. So they might win. But that's not how it works. Like, surely the state or someone... I mean, in previously packaged, they implied that there's a vendor in a different country, but that dialogue was not in the first episode. I know, I checked. So they added that, but that's not continuity. You, you can't change the timeline. I do not understand why Johan does not own this place outright. Oswald points out it's strange in a weird way that would attract incredible attention, and Johan accuses him of collusion. The scene just ends. Hongi refuses to go skiing because it hurts. She doesn't elaborate and Johan doesn't push. The others take to the skis as you do. Hongi runs to Justine, who has some new information that he's got in space for like seven, eight hours. Turns out Mr. Cop, you remember from 996 from the start of the first episode, his real name is Broman. Broman. I love this show. I respect that so much. He lives on the other side of the mountain. Of fucking course he does. Justine offers to take Honey, but she and then she puts his helmet on and hops on as Justine presses the throttle. Sometimes the jokes write themselves. 
Scenery porn is jostling right across the mountain. Johan compliments Elias off-piste. A sexy ski montage ensues. Because I don't know about you, but when I watch a show like this, I want a sexy ski montage. Broman is happy to see strangers inquiring about a dead family from 1996. They've gone visit Broman, by the way. That, that whole cross-mountain thing, that was just to justify the sexy ski montage throughout the transition between scenes. He goes, Broman goes in detail about how family died holding hands. He suspected Hesky, who went mad and then drowned. It's like a motif. Jack, Jack of drowned and Hesky drowned. Hesky rambles on tape, or rambled on tape, as Broman likes to show off his collection. Honey asked to borrow tape, but Broman suddenly realises he's police officer and this isn't strictly illegal, and also this shit's classified. How is it classified? It shouldn't have it, but it's not classified. It's not a matter of national fucking security. It's just a guy named Hesky murdered a bunch of kids. He says, he says Hong is silly, so, so silly. They're classified. Broman finally asks why she's interested. When you ask this at the start of the scene, Hongi asks him why Hesky how Hesky drowned if he was in custody at the time. Oh, shit. That's a really good point. I can't wait for the explanation. But we don't get one, as Holly insults his coffee. Broman demurs and then offers her biscuits. So I'm sorry, wait a second. Has this scene been written backwards? He, they talk about coffee and biscuits. Surely that's the start of the scene, building up to them having their big debate over classified footage. Not the end of the fucking scene. So anyway, Holly goes off to the bathroom. It's Justine sat there looking very confused. No, I'm with you, mate. I have no idea what's going on. That scene seems to have been written backwards. They return to the lodge and the two of them say goodbye to each other. And there's more chemistry between these two than there is between Hongi and Johan, by the way. Hongi decodes and then goes exploring. I hate that word, exploring. It, last week was investigates, this week's explore. We have to consult Fiosaurus and come up with a different fucking word for the random walking shit they do. Because it's most this fucking show. Anyway, this seems riveting. Is Hongi enters the study. She looks at bookcase, finds no clues. She looks in the drawer, finds no clues. She finds a business card with Hesky written on the front. Or emblazed on the front. Hongi says his name out loud with reverence. Moving a box, she finds a TV and reveals that she's starred tape from Broman. Holy shit. You're going to regret that. On TV, we see Broman interrogating Hesky in 1996. The skiers return. Johan offers jo Jessen a spa rubdown. She says no, so Johan says to Frank that sex is awaiting him in the near future. I don't think you should become fortune teller, mate. I'm just going to say that. Hongi's listening to Hesky's exposition on the ski lodge. Turns out it's a sanitarium in the 1950s that he renovated to much trouble. Broman asks him to stay on point as he just wants to know about the fucking murder. Hesky mentions he had shit to do, but Johan enters before we can get specifics of what shit was. Hongi fesses up to Johan. Johan isn't happy that he's engaged to a zombie feast. Also, he's very concerned that Hongi faked an ailment to get Afghan skin. She says she didn't, then apologises anyway, which confirms that she did and she knows she did. Joanne doesn't care about mystery because he says Hesky was a nutter. Hongi, clearly concerned about her own mental health issues, doesn't buy it. And as Johan leaves, she watches more tape. It's night time. Frank and Jessen have more sets. If my toilet goes off in the background. Ariki lurks in, in the ski lodge. He finds fresh crayon premonitions in the playroom. The cellar door opens again. I'm seeing them typing. I'm writing those way too often. Say a door opens again. Opens and shuts so often at this point. Not even scary. It wasn't scary stuff with, but certainly not scary now. Joanne insults the virtues of ski lodge's dad in an unconvincing way. Also, he feels he proposed to Hongi, and she said yes. The love between these two is palpable. Then he says the exact same thing again, slightly differently, with even less enunciation and emotion. Okay. He claims to love his dad and then hands up. 
even this guy's not a very good actor. He's doing a great job playing an emotionally blank human being. And then criticising his partner for being emotionally blank. Frank is passed out on bed. He waits to find Jessen staring at the wall. She walks off when he approaches, so he follows. She stops by the cellar door and walks into playroom to reveal that she made the drawings holy shit that paid off so quick and i'm so glad because if this shit's like lost that'll take four years to pay off and no one give fuck at the end of it this show straight to the point pay that shit off ask new questions great really happy with that genuinely happy it's what i like about this show it moves like a rocket sled except for the fucking cellar door what's in the cellar I won't know what's in the cellar. And I've got six episodes left. And I, I hope they're not going to drag out for too long. But I think they might. Anyway. Jessen draws without looking at the paper. Like a boss. She's... Oh, it's so cool. But it's really creepy at the same time. Then she waits from her trance. Jessen seems oddly nonplussed by what's just happened. I think this woman's experimented for love drugs in her life. On tape, Hesky reveals he got planning permission from Scarlett Johansson, Brie Horse Whisperer, of course, and they both saw the Lodge's potential. I like that. I like it when you're working with someone and you're both working to the same standard and goals and you both see something that the other sees and you decide to invest in it. Clearly, the relationship between Hesky and young Scarlett Johansson was a very friendly one. Honey fast-forwards through this complete amount of bullshit that doesn't mean a goddamn thing, except for the fact that clearly Johansson's going to come in play, not Scarlet, the Johansson they're actually referring to. Hongi's just not smart enough to realise it. She stops as Hesky headbutts the table, and we get Broman calling for aid on tape. Joan watches his own footage, and then angry shuts the laptop as the music goes batshit insane. Oh, man. What's he seen and what's it going to mean for these rat-tap bunch of rebels? Hesky on tape says that he murdered Johansson's. It was easy. He strangled father while he was asleep. The mother was weak and kids were small, very small. So he strangled them, both of them. They were small. Right, that's great, mate, but what I won't know is, were they small? You're not giving me much information here, mate. Hesky sat the kids beside each other because they wanted to be beside each other. But he didn't want to murder anyone. He did not want to murder anyone. He did not want to murder anyone. And he maintains he did not want to murder anyone. Know how we know he didn't want to murder anyone? Because he keeps repeating it for like 30 seconds and then starts head on the table. We've all had days like that work. We've all had days like that where you just need to repeat the same thing over and over again. Head on the fucking table. <laughs> Uh, Johan storms into Oswald's room, then makes him watch the footage, which shows Oswald approaching the cellar and going inside. Oh shit, I knew it, you fat potato man, you. Yeah, you dumb fat potato boy. You tracksuit wearing potato boy. You're, you're a killer, aren't you, Oswald? You're a fucking killer. Johan reveals that Oswald was there for an hour. Oswald claims amnesia. Joanne says, Bullshit! Objection! Claiming Oswald wants to buy the lodge. Wait, 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 what? Wait, what? Sorry. Hang on a second. Surely there's more things to be concerned about than Oswald buying the lodge when he's the one being hiding in the cellar for no reason whatsoever. Because it's not like he's convincing people not to stay at the lodge. No one seems to give a shit. You've jumped a lot, mate. And I think this... Oswald's acting this scene, the guy who plays him, is fantastic because it's clearly hinted with the slight thread of you moron, you've reached the right conclusion, but with the wrong hypothesis. No, the right hypothesis, but wrong conclusion. Oswald says he has bad eyes and has to lie down. And that calms Joe. That calms Joanne down completely. He calls Johan out on his bullshit. The two of them bro out and agreeing that they will not tell Hanny about this. Joanne, you just got fucking played by the master, yo. <laughs> Hongi goes to make phone call to Justine. She says that she's watched the Hesky tape. <laughs> We've all watched the Hesky tape. And asks if Dad knew Hesky. Justine says that he didn't. So Hongi thinks Hesky was scary and accuses Eriki of being lurker. Justine says maybe it's a miling. Which, according to Sammy Myth, is a dead child, turned spirit, and wants to steal a soul. 
You're right to take your soul, or you have to give someone else's up, and we'll take theirs. Hongi finds Jessen's fucked up drawings, and we get one for the dead family. She really understands how messed up that is, but I suppose Jessen isn't leaving her like tag on them or anything. So from that tense scene, we cut to sexy hot tub party time. Frank and Jessen discuss dank weed and a bit of ecstasy. And then they take some ecstasy with a bit of beer. It's party time, yo. Dancing ensues. Bonnie and Elian ramble more about Darwinism. And I'm just thinking at this point, I know it's a motif. I know it's foreshadowing. But can you both shut the fuck up, please? <laughs> Bonnie see, realises how bullshit this conversation is. Walks off to pour some wine. And she calls Jessen a whore. <laughs> Jesus Christ. She then dismisses the mildling theory by saying it's not a popular theory on Reddit. Honey is a proper buzzkill by saying, you know, really going to town on murdered kids. As Bonnie just wants to get pissed, doesn't want to deal with this shit. Jessen says that she starts doing ring around Rosie, spinning around over and over again and saying she murdered kids. It takes everyone a few goes to realise, hey, that's not new hip song by, you know, new hip artist whoever they are. Song for fucking Lady Gaga song. It's not I murdered kids, kids, I murdered kids, I murdered kids, kids, I murdered kids. I don't think that song's gonna take off. Anyway, Jessen falls down and she starts tripping balls. The men carry her to safety, as they do. Later on, Bonnie walks out of Jessen's room, pretends she's a doctor. And she chides Frank, Johan and Holly on Jessen's condition. And they're blamed for it. Frank admits they did some E, but it's just a little bit. He doesn't even think it worked because he's not high. And says he barely knows Jesson, so maybe she has murdered a kid or two. Joanne scolds him for accusing his fucking missus of doing that. Frank, very chagrined, asks me to see Jesson and is permitted. Later on, Joanne's fuming over something. such an arsehole. And he runs into a lion who's getting some beer. Joanne's very tired, and then Elian kisses him. She waits for a three seconds to see if he'll snap or make some snide comment. He doesn't, so she softly kisses him again, and they start making out. And then one of the characters I've got the name of, Met, sees them. As Joanne starts screaming, Met, 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 and she flees. Joanne looks very concerned. On tape, Pesky says it was easy, as we cut Broman hammering a whisk in some tablets. And then cut Holly staring at the picture of the family. And then cut to Oswald crying under a lamp like a big fat potato boy. And then Eriki loading a pistol. And then Broman drinking some more beer. Or whiskey and tablets. And then the episode ends. Well, that was certainly an episode. And now it's time for the end is epilogue. <laughs>